That's better. Try again. Check, check. One, two, one, two. Yes. Perfect, perfect. Got the smooth dulcet sounds. Got the dulcet tones. That's it. Welcome to GCP Life. This is episode number 11. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. I am your host, Stephen Bancroft. And on today's show, we're all in on GCVE. Cloud Armor is not as impenetrable after all. Google in the bad books, again. GCP costs you more, yet we tell you how to save some money. And please, please, please update your Chrome. But before we get to any of that, I want to introduce the now new, brand new, shiny co-host permanently, Dave Wall. How are you going, Dave? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks, Steve. Uh, I'm glad that I passed the interview a couple of weeks back. <laughs> passed the interview a couple of weeks back. Yeah. Yeah, of course, uh, Ida, Ida now has moved on to uh, other things, and uh, we've got Dave Wall here now on a permanent basis. So yeah, glad yeah, to have yeah. you aboard, mate. Thanks, mate. You're stuck with me now, so... Stuck with you now, yeah, yeah. You got the shiny new mic there and everything. Yep, all, all set up. Excellent. What have you been up to during the uh, last couple of weeks? Uh, it's been busy. We've got a kickoff of a new project, so we're sort of deep in the you know, discovery phase, and that's uh, that's certainly taking up a lot of cycles. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we're all in on the GCVE at the moment, isn't it? You, you've got a bit of a lab going there too. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was fun to build out the. Um Quite a lot of changes made to the uh, the on-prem slash colo slash home lab environment uh, to uh, you know to be able to get it up to really kind of a, a faux enterprise standard and now yeah, all tied yeah. in and and back to GCV in the cloud. So yeah, all working. As For those of you that aren't familiar, yeah, GCV is uh, Google Cloud's VMware offering in uh, GCP. And uh, in Australia, it's it's new. It's a real new thing. Um, Dave and I are both involved in the project. Um, you know what? Probably the only the first or second client in Australia, I think. Yeah, um, that's, that's really been real involved new. with it. Real new. So um, yeah, you'll be hearing more about it. And since we're both so heavily involved in it, I think there'll be a lot of content on it on the show in the next over the next few episodes. And we're probably going to do a deep dive. I'd say. Um, yeah, I, I think certainly. it warrants it. It's uh, there's yeah. there's a lot to the solution. There's a lot of cool stuff, and there's uh, a lot of really awesome features, especially for anyone coming from a you know like a legacy traditional on-prem infrastructure. That um, yeah, yeah, you can it really sells itself. Yeah, and um, oh, look, before we do have a couple, we do have one or two GCV articles, but I just wanted to mention the the, the thing the the situation in Russia is just getting just getting worse and worse by the day, but. Um, Russia now has blocked access to Google News. I just wanted to mention that because I did did mention uh, last week that uh, Russia uh, Google had stopped paying, uh, stopped new clients from Russia, but that but Russia now struck back and has blocked Google News along with uh, Instagram and Facebook. I mean, talk about censorship! It's just just horrible that the people don't have access to these things that we just take for granted. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think. Uh, you know, Russia, Russia's excuse was Google News was spreading disinformation. Mm, okay, well, you know, we're not a political show, but, uh, you know, I wonder who's spreading the disinformation. <laughs> yeah. 
certainly noticed that apparently in the last uh, you know sort of month or so that sort of troll activity has apparently plummeted significantly. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Getting all blocked out. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the, the the landscape of the internet is probably going to be very different after this hubbub's all over. And um, I mean, gee, the geopolitical situation is going to be very different as well. It's going to have far-reaching impact. So. Um, very interesting to see how it all pans out in terms mm. of the internet and yeah. the news and how it's going to affect those kind of outlets. Anyway, uh, yeah, we'll move. We'll get into the. We'll get. We'll get started with things here, and um, we do want to kick off today's show with a GCVE uh, article, and that is related to uh, GCV uh, G- VMware licensing. What we have available now is uh, VMware Cloud Universal. What can what do you know? Do you know more about this, Dave? Yeah. So where this uh, sort of comes in is previously um, for GCVE, like you would you'd rent your nodes, or you know you get your nodes through um, through VMware Engine, uh, and that would include all your licensing as well. So you didn't have an option to BYO um, your VMware licensing. You may have had you know enterprise licensing for you know, hundreds of nodes that you've sort of bought and depreciated over the years, um, and that wasn't an option to take them with you. You could on some of the other cloud providers. Um, now with this change, um, looks like there's you'll be able to sort of convert some of your on-prem licenses into Cloud Universal, and then um, looks like you'll be able to actually bring them with you, um, which I assume is going to have some uh, economic improvements yeah so to take a quote from the article here uh by the way this is uh, this is an article on the next platform by brandon uh vigliario probably butchered that name but uh, there you go uh an expanded partnership between vmware and google cloud means aws and dell are being joined by a third cloud partner for vmware cloud universal which allows vmware licenses to function both on-prem and in the cloud Google's part in the deal involves making Google Cloud VMware Engine usable with VMware Cloud Universal. So my my takeaway from this is if if you have, as you were saying, a license on prem, you can shift that license into cloud, or you can you're free to move it backwards and forwards between the two. Possibly, yeah. I think I think there's a conversion ratio. I don't know if it's it's right. one for one, but you get some sort of credit for for previous years. Um, right, but, but but what I don't understand is when you when you buy GCVE from Google, it's all inclusive. All, all the cost is inclusive of the license, inclusive of the hardware lease, everything. So how's that? If you've already got a license, do they give you some sort of discount? Is that how that works? It must be. I haven't seen how to apply this through the console yet, so that might be something we should get uh, a little bit more detail about how you would apply that for a client. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it does appear to be the way. I mean, otherwise, what would be the point of the announcement, right? Like, there's no way for you to to put ESX licensing in through the, the current way. So if Cloud Universal is going to be the way to go going forward, then there, there must be a way to apply these licenses. Yeah, you know what? Because come to think about it, we're actually seeing this. Because if you have a client come to us and they go, oh, we've still got two, three years left on our license. We want to move to cloud. Uh, and they and they may be in a situation where their data center lease expires, but they and they want to get out of that. Um, but their licensing doesn't line up, and well, we've already invested in the license. Well, okay, great, just bring it with you. Come to the cloud. We'll give you the reduction on GCVE because you've already got the license. 
Yeah, and I think that's where it sells because, like, as you said, it's yeah. very rare that you're going to have all of your, like, enterprise agreements, like your VMware one, your hardware one, your data center one, like, all lining up on the same day. Like, that's that's so rarely going to happen. That's um, really, yep, yep. There needs to be flexibility with license and, I mean, it's just, just a- just a piece it's just an nft effectively isn't it (laughs) you just move it across and uh yeah i mean you're not you're not bound by any shouldn't be bound by any physical location of where it is Mm. um yeah all right so it'd be good to see how that pans out and who's actually going to take the offer up because this you know gcve i think is about to explode i mean the the total taking another quote from an the the article here there's also the saving enterprises can reportedly reduced their TCO by 38% over three years. Yeah, so there's definitely a saving cost in using GCV. We've discussed that before, certainly in in real dollars and and man hours and and, and labour. Yeah, certainly from a toil toil perspective, you know, just (laughs) taking so much of the the busy work of managing your hosts and software versioning and, yeah, having that come off your plate so you can do, you know, more valuable work. You more, that's right. You can actually look after um, the application that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, um, yeah, we'll let you know how that works when we when we look into it. But um, something I was looking at during the week, um, and this is a total tangent from GCVE. This is um, Cloud Armor. Um, I uh, until uh, look, my experience with Cloud Armor is, I mean, I'm getting I'm getting across it, getting used to it. Um, pretty familiar with it now. But um, it seems like a great tool on the surface, but apparently it's not as impenetrable as you think. Um, so if you're not familiar, Cloud Armor is the um, Layer 7 uh, web application firewall that's built into uh, the Google Cloud front end. Um, it's you implement it in the load balancer. And the idea of it is to inspect uh, incoming requests and look for known vulnerability exploits in those requests. Uh, and it does have a weakness whereby it will not inspect requests that are larger than 8K. So if you want to ex- exploit something, a known exploit, all you've got to do is put some bogus data in your payload, make it over 8K, and bang, it gets through Cloud Armor. And reading in on this, uh, apparently this is like actually a fairly... Like it's a fairly common thing. The uh, the AWS WAF has the the same vulnerability, but um, yep. I think it's it's much more about just like making people aware because it, it's not immediately apparent uh, when you're deploying Cloud Armor that it has this has this problem. Yeah. So the way to fix it um, is to block any requests larger than eight k. Right. That 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 just straight up stops it. Right. But this introduces a problem. So yeah, you may need more than 8K. <laughs> you may need more than 8K, right? And the, the perfect example I can think of is uh, WordPress, for instance. Uh, if you're a developer and you want to upload some files to WordPress, uh, it's bigger than 8K and 8K is blocked, bang, you, you're, out of, you're out of luck. Um, and it could be, could be any, any you know, content management system or any system that needs a post. Um, then you're out of luck. So what you've got to do is you've got to walk a fine line between deciding what to block and what not to block. And then the question becomes, well, how do you do that? Well, I figured out a way to do that. 
Ooh. Um, I will, I'm going to write a blog article on this, um, but more or less what you do is you use a – I'm going to let the cat out of the bag on this one. <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert. Man. Spoiler alert. Uh, you use a URL map and you define in that URL map uh, what URLs need the 8K upload. And then you have – you define a couple of different backends in the load balancer, and uh, with that with that backends, you use the URL map to steer the pages you have defined to the correct backend. And the reason you have a separate backend is because the security, the Cloud Armor security policy, uh, is attached to the backend. Right, right now, okay. So you, you can have, different can have policies multiple. And- you can have different policies. You can have one policy that blocks 8K and one policy that doesn't block 8K, right? And then with the URL map, you can say, uh, for instance, with WordPress, this is an example, everything under WP admin, don't block 8K, right? Because that's where you're doing your that's, – that's the interface, that's the administration interface to WordPress, and that's probably where you're going to want to do your posts, unless you've got something on your page that – you, you know, users need to do a post of, of a large object and you've got to you treat it a little bit differently. Um, so now, it's sort of like a, an option that you could use as as more of a, like a secure, sensible default. And then you just, so you like, you block 8K standard. For and if you know yep. you need it, you know you need it, you allow it. And then you just make sure that you're you, providing you, the additional protection. That's right. Yeah. Now, I did run into one other problem with this when I, because this is how I implemented it in one of our clients. Um, that problem being, Cloud Armor only allows you to have twenty rules globally. Now, you can have multiple policies, but all the rules in those policies cannot exceed twenty. The count of twenty. Now, the policy that we had at the time had eleven rules in it. So if I wanted to make another policy that duplicated that, I was at 22 rules. So I was, I was over the limit. Oh, okay. Right. 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 So you'd have 20 so policies with one rule each. You could have 20 policies with one rule each, right? Or two policies with 10 rules, but you can't go over 20 rules. Yeah, okay? right. So how do I get around that one? Well, fortunately, I already had IAP enabled on those WordPress uh, admin pages. So IAP, IAP is, uh, I don't need a where proxy. So you can't even get to the URL without passing the Google IAP. In other words, you get the pop-up prompt that says, hey, you've got to log into to Google. And and the only people that are accepted on that pop-up prompt are, are us being the consultants and in this case, the client's domain. They were allowed to log in. So you can't even get to the URL. So I just thought, well, why does it even need a security policy? Need it if it's protected already um, from the public internet. Obviously, I mean, there could be. I guess there could be an internal um, attack, but that's pretty unlikely. I mean, it's. I mean, it's a risk. It's, I think it's an acceptable risk. Um, so yeah, I just removed the policy. Um, still had the block eight k for the public side, obviously, uh, and then all the admin pages were only available through IAP anyway. And that was it. And it was already so, just a subset had, of the org who could get to it. Only a subset of the org that could get to it. Only the administrators of WordPress could get to it, right? And that seems to work. I think that's, that's an acceptable compromise. 
So if, you, if you've already compromised an administrator account, you could already do way more to that environment than just, you know, a misshapen packet. <laughs> so um, that was the answer. Of course, the, the other way to, to uh, approach it would have been to reduce the number of cloud armor rules, uh, but there already is a, a, a well-defined set of rules that you should just use out of the box for cloud armor. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there you wouldn't want to be without. Exactly, yeah. And I, I didn't want to take that off the public uh, the front end, so I just went with this solution. Anyway, um, that's one to be aware of, and uh, th there is a way to fix it. Um, I'll link to the particular article uh, where uh, it's been pointed out to me in the show notes. All right, so from something I've been playing around with to something you've been playing around with, Dave, Google introduces Google Cloud Architecture Diagramming Tool. Yeah, and this is, um, I mean, it's, it's nice that there's now like a, a native tool. Um, this is uh, basically, a, I guess, a fork or a collaboration with Excalibur. Uh, so I'm sure, you know, many of the people listening would have done architecture diagrams in Excalibur. And personally, I've, you know, I've used like Draw.io a lot too. Um, the really nice thing with this is it does integrate with like the cloud developer cheat sheet. So when you're going to actually like pull, um, uh, you know, artifacts onto onto your architecture design, um, you know, it pulls all the right logos. It gets you a little blurb on like the little the four word explanation about like, hey, this is, uh, you know, what Compute Engine is, and um, so there's no there's no digging around like, okay, yeah, I'm going to put uh, some Compute Engine instances here. I'm going to have some GKE, GKE nodes. Uh, oh, I better go grab the right uh, icon set for those. Um, there's uh, there's a lot to love in it. Yeah, just finding that icon set in <laughs> IO Draw is a challenge in itself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly right. Um, so it's it's nice having it there. You get a, a, a nice um, like a selection you can sort of go through. Like, oh, give me all the compute options, or give me all the databases. I need machine learning, and it kind of gives you all your options there. You can pull in. Um, there's there's some good, and there's some, and there's some I guess uh, improvement opportunities in it. <laughs> Um, so, so my great is, is definitely like not having to go search for like the right icon. Um, there's also, uh, a lot of pre-canned diagrams in there that you can just drag in and you get like a, you know, here's a three, three tier application, uh, it pulls a whole diagram in that you can sort of then go and, um, you know, modify as you require, which like certainly and, like- uh I guess they would be based on uh, Google Cloud best practice as well. Yeah, build out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the really nice thing is is was you know when you're starting a new architecture design and you've got that clean slate. Okay, where do I where do I start? What's the first thing that I can put down, and then I can start building on my flow diagram. So it's nice to be able to use something like that and then build off yep. it for yourself. Um, there's also a feature in there where you can do a one-click cloud shell deploy for uh, for your design. So you get a button in there. So far, and this is one of my no likes with it, is I haven't worked out how to make those myself. They're definitely there. If you pull in from one of the pre-canned diagrams, you can do it and it fires up your cloud shell and then it gives you an option to pull down the Git repo and install it all in one line. It's, it's really slick. Yeah. But I haven't worked out how to put that button there myself and how to change it. <laughs> I can't see an option for how to do that yet. So that's my, like, it looks great. I just want to know how I can use it for my own projects. 
Was he use deployment manager to do this or something, does it? Must build up a deployment manager file and then um, you just run it. Mm. Yeah, it, and okay, it will deploy yeah. the whole stack. I was just, I was a yeah. little cagey on deploying some of it because some of the ones I was messing around with were sort of quite large. It'd be quite a lot of resources. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it's definitely something that's, I want to spend a lot more time with. That's what our sandbox accounts for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, exactly right. Um, um, yeah, cool. Although, hmm, I don't know, like if they're using, yeah. I don't know, these kind of tools, you have to wonder how efficient it's going to be, right? And and then if you want to make a change, are you really – how familiar with the ins and outs of the design are you? Are you are you actually going to be able to go in there and make the nice little change that you want? Yeah, true. And it's not like That's it goes definitely. back the other way. Like if you had uh, your whole application written as code, it's not like you can spill that back into being a diagram again so you would have that double handling. Um, mm. And I think one of the other things that I would – put down as a you know feature request for the tool is there's not a good collaboration option in it so like i can't share the link to a design with you i can send you the file and you can import it but we can't update it together live and version it uh it doesn't have like native integration with google drive so there's some right you know there's there's some features that i'm i'm hoping would come to make this yeah. a much more useful tool yeah, it's always the way, though, isn't it? Minimal viable product, get it out there and then, you know, see what the adoption of it is and develop it if it's uh, – spend the time and money on it if it's if it's going to take off. I could see this being usable. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that not having it shareable could be uh, prohibitive because, uh, you know, we'd like to have all our diagrams and things available for everyone to use. Yeah, and share with our clients and things, and that that could be a problem. But I mean, even if you're just knocking up something quick, can you like export to PDF? Or yeah, like you can. You can um, export out as just like a PNG, and so you you can oh, do yes. that. So you can yeah, put that yeah. up, and and that works pretty nicely. Um, yeah, yeah, might be good for a document, right? If you want a nice looking diagram in a document, and you export a PNG, post yeah, it in true. there, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, all right. That's a good one. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'm going to have a play with that. Um, yeah, nice. We'll, um, we'll look at the uh, oh, slightly bad news here. I mean, look, I, I don't like hearing stories about like this about companies, and I don't particularly don't like hearing stories about this from Google. But, um, you know, we re- we're going to we report on everything as it is, um, but we did – mentioned in a, a few shows uh, ago that uh, Google had laid off some staff from Looker. Um, it looks like the story is a little little deeper than uh, we might have thought in the beginning. Um, apparently, the decision had been planned a few months in advance, uh, one Google Cloud exec said in internal town hall after the layoffs. I'm quoting here in an article from uh, Emerging Tech Brew, uh, and they, uh, they have an article saying, before layoffs hit Google owned looker workers unknowingly trained their replacements. Yeah, that's uh that's a bad that's not a good not a good look. Uh, we always ask what's the goal of this? Why are we bringing on these contractor teams? Are our jobs at stake? The employee who requested an an, an anonymity recalled. They would always be like, "No, no, no, of course we don't." just want to bring on the contractors so you guys can have more time off. Uh, I guess a lot of of time off. The timeline felt really aggressive. 
So, you know, we know the story of, of look, Google acquired the startup almost exactly two years ago, uh, $2.6 the first major acquisition under the Google Cloud current CEO, Thomas Curian. But, uh, yeah, it looks like what they've done is they've, they've, had, they've had a big round of layoffs and they had these Looker engineers train up some partners from Infosys. Uh, they were kept in the dark about it. And then uh, suddenly they were invited to an uh, important meeting in air quotes, and they were all sacked. Yeah, that's a there's a sad anecdote in that article where the the person like everything had been going really well. He'd been told the job was safe. He thought he was actually in line for a promotion. Get and he gets invited mm. to this thing, thinking it's the promotion meeting. Like, oh, that's that, you're going for a hundred to zero pretty quick. Yeah, we were told then your positions are not going to get eliminated. They might change over time. They might get more specialised, but they will never get eliminated. This is what they were told originally. Another member of Looker US support team who was affected by the layoffs told us, Google does not believe in layoffs. So I like to think, you know, this situation, it's not Google as a whole, or it's not really any company as a whole. I, I don't think, well, I'm sure there's exceptions, but... I don't think any company sets out to screw their employees like this. I, I like to think it's probably a couple of individuals at that level that have decided that this is the way they're going to run with it. And um, it, it, Yeah, it, 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 was, it was probably in, some, uh, it was in someone's performance plan to get it done this year and they were going to see it through. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But look... Uh, there, there is sort of an olive branch. Um, what they can do, if effective workers do not find a new role at Google within 60 days, so they've got 60 days, they'll be terminated, right? Pending a signed release agreement, given 12 weeks of base pay plus one additional week per year worked. So they get that severance pay, along with a lump sum that will vary, which is some sort of bonus payment, I guess. Um and the company is also providing mobility specialists to help navigate available roles. So I did speculate that they might have something like that uh, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, and it turns out they do. Uh, it's like a, a group that helps re, reposition um, displaced employees. Large companies tend to, tend to have that. Um, you know, if they need to do some upskilling or they, you know, uh, want to move their career, you know, horizontally or vertically, then then uh, these guys will help them, out, help them do that. I mean, it is still so hard to get good people now. So if there's, you know, a line of business where they decided actually, yeah, we don't need some of the in-house support teams, but, you know, if there's, uh, you know, skilled talent in there, I'm sure they'll uh, help find them, you know, new locations to be, even if it's not within the looker arm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, best of luck to those that are looking for a new job. All right, let's move on to some more sort of upbeat news. Um we did report the other week uh, that uh, there was a bunch of price increases with Google, and we will talk about that a little bit later. But uh, Google have introduced a new feature um, where you can save some money. So they're giving from one hand, and they're, t- they're taking from one hand, <laughs> and they're giving in the other hand. Yeah, you, just, you have and, to use the new features, though, uh, right? You have to, you you have you, to go and grab it. you use the new feature, yeah. So this feature is uh, save big by temporarily suspending unneeded compute engine VMs, now in general availability. So what this is, this is a suspend or resume mode, and it'll 
rather than just completely shutting down the VM, it'll just suspend the VM, and then when you unsuspend or you you wake it up, it'll be exactly in the state it was in before. It's just like putting your laptop to sleep. Just like putting your laptop to sleep, yeah. That's right. Um, And it does it in a really cool way. Um, It actually uses the ACPI S3 signal at the BIOS level, which is just exactly what the BIOS would do to put your laptop to sleep. So no special agents or anything there. It's just like pushing the little little moon button on your keyboard. Like pushing exactly like pushing the moon button. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so supports you know cross supports all OSs that support that as well. I can really see that being great for um, you know maybe not so much for like application servers. I mean if you if you had them on schedules already, then then brilliant. You know, especially if you're not using them uh, out of hours. But if you're using like like workstation, like cloud workstations. You've got people who are actually like signing in and doing work to just be able to suspend the machines instead of fresh booting them every day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, just, yeah, yeah. I, I, I come in, I, yeah. yeah, fire up yep. my session. Hey, everything's right there. I'm, I'm, I'm already starting work. I'm still there. Yeah. And, and it's been on pause all night, saving you money. Yeah. Just paying for a little bit extra storage. Yeah. I'm just thinking out loud here, other use cases, like what about batch processing? Something that's got a batch- you know, during business hours, um, at the end of the day, you pa- it might be halfway through a run, but it gets paused, and then, and the start of the next day, it starts up again and just continues off where it was. You don't need to. You, you're not restarting the whole run again. You know, it could be a use case. Yeah, I guess especially for applications that haven't been you know fully modernized, where you would have you know taken that batch process out and used a more of a, a cloud native solution. But yeah, if you still got like legacy apps, there's a lot of different ways that you can use it. So utilizing compute engine suspend and resume functionality has allowed uh, this company to reduce operation costs for our compute engine driven development environment. So okay, so they're using them for dev workstations. Um, they allow each engineer to customize their environment's working hours, which triggers suspension at the end of each workday and resumption at the beginning of the next day. This has reduced our VM instance usage times from 168 hours a week to 60 hours a week per environment. If you're thinking that those are development workstations, they're probably pretty beefy. So that's nearly, what's that? It's two thirds, close, close enough to two thirds of a reduction. Right. Yeah, no, that's 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 big savings, big savings. Yeah, enabling us to save thousands of dollars each month. So looking at the instance schedule, it doesn't seem to be a way to define it to be sleep or power off. Uh, okay, you can only use the cloud CLI or the Compute Engine API to suspend an instance. So I guess you'd have to set up, like at the moment you'd need to have like another tool. Right, so you could, you could have a, a function or a cloud schedule or something to do it. Right, it doesn't do it out of the instant schedule at the moment. All right, so that's how Google's trying to save you some money, but um, they're also costing us a little bit more. Uh, an article here on InfoQ uh, by uh, Renato Lozio says the cloud community has been raising concerns about architectural implications and the end of long-term prices never go up cloud tenant. The price changes Google is making strike at the heart of their customers' applications and will force many customers to re-architect their applications or pay a much larger amount to keep their existing architecture. 
So we reported on this last week that Google has made some changes to uh, the uh, billing around snapshots um, and egress. Um, specifically, it's persistent disk snapshots, uh, cloud load balancing, network intelligence center, cloud ops monitoring. Um, and the, the, the problem is you've got these apps that are architected around a certain design, obviously, and uh, there's a certain cost in place. To re-architect those, to reduce those costs, is extremely painful. Especially if you're, um, like, you've architected something where you're leveraging something that's either not being charged for or it's something where you sit in the free tier. Like, if you're paying for something and the cost goes up, you can calculate that. That's easy. But if you're not measuring something that you're getting for free and all of a sudden it's going to have a charge on it, that that it gives you a lot of unknowns. It gives you a lot of unknowns. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the the price increases aren't coming into October, um, but it's still it's still the exercise where you need to sit down and try and guesstimate what it's going to be. It'd be nice. We talked about this on the last episode. If there was a tool that was going to give you what the price is going to be in the future, yeah, it'd be nice if you could see like yeah, billing APIs like hey, right now it's this. Under the new pricing coming in October, it will be this. It will be this, yeah. yeah. So you've got your six months to try and sort it out. Um, another quote from the article here, as an industry, we have seen a decade and a half of anecdata about a fundamental tenant of the cloud adoption tsunami sweeping the global economy, specifically that if you build something in the cloud, it will over time become more stable, more capable, and if the price changes, it will be a reduction instead of an increase. We now have clear evidence that that tenet is in fact untrue in Google's case and not to be depended upon. Strong words there. Mm. You have to wonder, like, I, okay, so Google have made the argument, yeah, we're doing this to bring it in line with other cloud vendors. But did they really have to? Like, the, we know everyone knows they're losing money on GCP. Um, is this going to generate more revenue for, for them in GCP and try and cover that loss? Probably not, right? And all they've done is put the developers offside, at least in the short term. That's how it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, would, you would hope that they've got some, some, some numbers there that would have had some justification to make the change. Um, but uh, that's that's cold comfort for uh, the people who are actually going to be on the receiving end of paying for those bills. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, and this article finishes off. The price changes will not take effect until October, um, as we know. Um, so, yeah, it remains to be seen how what the wash-up is on that. Um, but, um, I'm going to – I mean, I've only got one or two projects there, and I don't pay a lot, but – it shouldn't affect me too much, but we'll get clients come knocking on our door. What's going on with the price? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> All right, then. Wanted to move on to the last article here about Google Chrome. Uh, a couple of exploits that have popped up recently. Um, looks like Korea, North Korea, had actually exploited state-sanctioned exploit in Google Chrome. Uh, an article here um, on the register saying we blocked North Korea's Chrome exploits, says Google. Uh, fake Oracle and Disney job ads to little victims is certainly an interesting choice. So they started with a phishing attack to um, Oracle and Disney um, with a link in there, sent them to a bogus 
site. Uh, there was a hidden iframe in there that spun up some Java and then uh, run up this uh, un- apparently undisclosed exploit within Chrome. Google on Thursday described how it apparently caught and thwarted North Korea's effort to exploit a remote code execution vulnerability in Chrome. The exploit itself used JavaScript to build a system fingerprint and then triggered the vulnerability when an unknown set of conditions were met. So there seems to be a lot of unknowns about this. They they followed it along and just ended up with a lot of dead air, a lot of the sites that ended up being pulled down by the time they discovered it. Um, But, you know, it goes to show, um, keep your stuff patched, keep your stuff (laughs) updated, right? Especially with, with web stuff. I, th- I think the really interesting thing uh, for me as certainly, you know, someone in mm. tech where you're getting spammed with recruiters all day long is that was mm. one of their attack methods, right? Is they were just, they were like pinging people on, you know, LinkedIn saying, hey, we've got a job for you at, you know, Oracle and it looks like Disney and stuff. You're like, this is an awesome yeah, opportunity. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a link to it and the person clicks it. So, yeah, the team masqueraded as recruiters. Emailing Mark's bogus details of roles at Google, Oracle, and Disney with links to websites designed to look like Indeed, ZipRecruiter, and Disney Careers. Hey, based on elaborate. the uh, yeah, <laughs> based on the quality of some of the recruitment spam that I've received, I wonder oh. how many of them were actually just you know operating at a Pyongyang. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, once the site was visited, uh, served a hidden iframe that exploited the browser bug to achieve arbitrary code execution. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so this, this apparently happened back in February. Uh, the patch that closed the vulnerability in question was released for Chromium on Valentine's Day. And Google noted that the North Koreans made multiple exploitation attempts in the days immediately following. Um, but, of course, it was patched by that point. Mm. So that's kind of the first little one for Chrome, but um, there's been a more recent one. Yep, a big one. A big one. So what can you tell us about it, Dave? So um, I didn't have particularly deep on what the, the exploit was on this updated version, or this, this now fixed version of Chrome. It's not just in Chrome. Is it like anything that was based off the Chromium project? Um, like, uh, you know, I had to get like Brave updated and, uh, you know, if you had like Edge, the Chromium version of Edge, like everything had to be done. Anything um, that's not Firefox. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, but my, uh, my Netscape Navigator was uh, un- unaffected. <laughs> um, but no, so it was, a, it was a big one that uh, actually, I think uh, given the uh, the wide use of everything that's based off the Chromium project now, like- Everyone should just make sure they've done that to, you know, close and reopen. The the bug itself seems to be a problem in JavaScript where it's a pretty common problem where if a variable or memory location is accessed using the wrong type, it can cause it to crash uh, and land out of bounds and you can do arbitrary code execution with that kind of failure. Right. And, and looks here, they, they, they actually saw that this was being actively exploited in the wild, so... Take a quote from the article here. The vulnerability, which as stated, is believed to already be in use, is also present in Chromium, the development form of Chrome web browser. Chromium is also the basis for numerous other web browsers and applications, including Edge, Opera, Vivaldi, Brave, and even Electron. Yeah, so not Firefox. (laughs) As such, Google has also stated that they encourage its developers 
to make sure they update and issue patches to their users. Do we know of any, actually any active active exploits where this was used? I haven't seen right now them be announced about who's been right. exploited based off it. Um, I don't. I mean, we've been seeing a lot of these lapsus um, exploits in the last sort of week or two across a lot of wide companies, but whether or not that's related to this. So uh, the moral of the story is if you see the update icon in Chrome, then you better update it because it could be a zero day just waiting there for you. Yeah, definitely. I know when this uh, this first came out, my uh, my browser like a, the the little update notification had already kind of like turned to red on the. Oh, okay, I better I better get it done. I'll get it done as soon as I found out about it. Close better, the browser and uh, yeah, better go and do that. Yeah, because we don't cl- we don't right. I mean, I just leave my laptop sitting here and get up for the day and walk away and then come back, sit down and just pick up where I left off. Yeah, four and windows and three hundred tabs. <laughs> two two weeks, it could just be sitting there, you know, unless you know. Uh, Discovery gives me that little red icon to say there's an update there for your KDE, then I'll grab it. But yeah, could be just sitting there forever. All right, we'll finish up there. Uh, thanks, Dave, for joining us today. It's been a great chat. Yeah, awesome. Cheers, Steve. And uh, we're going to have, you know, you'll be around more and more often, and we're going to be l- looking deeply into GCVE more and more as we go along, I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> people, will be, people will be tired of it by the end. <laughs> they are going to get tired of hearing about it, yeah. Look, go to iTunes, write us a review. That'll really help out the show. And don't forget to check out Kazna Between Two Clouds, our sister YouTube channel, where you'll see our CEO and CTO shooting the breeze about Google Cloud and all things tech. Uh, you can contact the show on gcplife at kazna.com.au. And we've got a Twitter account there too, GCP Life. And don't forget to check out our website. I'm pretty sure you can just Google that now and you'll find it. And uh, don't forget... Today's sponsor was Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. Thanks for joining us today, Dave. We'll see you in a fortnight. All right. See you then. I always say next week or last week, but it's, it's two weeks, so yeah. it doesn't work. Uh, I mean, you will see me next week, but they won't. I'll, I'll probably see you in an hour at our next meeting. <laughs>